Hello. Hello, I'm on. We're here together. Hello, everybody. Hello, hello. Thank you for being with us tonight. Um, I'm going to open with prayer, and then we'll talk for a second, and then we'll get into tonight's sermon from Joseph Schmel. All right. Lord God, we thank you for this night. We thank you for the opportunity to come into your presence. We thank you that you would even take the time to be in our presence. Lord God, you are holy, you are mighty, and you are worthy of all praise. I pray that we would come to you tonight with a heart of humility with open ears and open spirit to hear what you have to say through this sermon that was preached over a hundred years ago. Lord God, I just pray we'd have receptive spirits, that we'd have teachable spirits, that none of us would think that we've arrived, but we would know that we all have so much more to learn about you, Father. So Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would overflow out of me tonight, that you would speak through me, and that you would help me to just um, really open up what this sermon is saying to help us understand in our context, even though it's already so applicable, and that we would be open to the repentance of heart that it is calling us to, Lord God. We just thank you for all that you've done and all that you're doing. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so since we diverged from our series last week, last week we dealt with the fear of the Lord just because I felt it weighing heavy on my spirit. This, once again, is called the Pentecostal Blessing. All right, these were six sermons that were preached in the year 1905. You good, Pastor Charlie? I'll just make sure. Um, that, that were preached in 1905, so 116 years ago, by Joseph Schmel. Most people have never heard of him, right? We talked about this. In 1905, he preached these sermons. He came back from the Welsh revival where 100,000 Welsh got saved. And then he came back and preached these sermons, which led up to the Azusa Street revival in 1905 and 1906 that swept across the entire nation where people were radically transformed um, by the name of Jesus Christ. People were healed. Miracles took place. So what we've been doing is we've been analyzing, based upon his sermons that were put in a book form called The Pentecostal Blessing, we've been analyzing his sermons. So I can't take any credit for any of this, right? This isn't me. I took the main excerpts from the chapter, which this chapter was small. Um, it's called The Explanation. This is what the sermon is called. Because if you remember, two weeks ago, remember we looked at the chart. And the chart was comparing the modern church in that time in 1905, which literally looks the exact same today, was comparing the American church to the biblical church. And he was comparing, he had the chart split down on both sides of the biblical church and the American church. This is his explanation. This is, he's explaining why it looks the way it does. Why is the American church so different? And this flows right into our Holy Spirit series that we've been on. And I'm excited to get into this night. Now, some hard hitters. And remember, I didn't write this. So if you get a little offended and convicted, I got convicted too. So I didn't write this. Let's go through it together. And you know, it's good to have conviction. All right, the explanation. And so, right, so what you have in front of you is everything that's on this PowerPoint. So don't think, oh my gosh, I have to write all this down. Everything you have, as I always do on Wednesday nights, always, that packet is everything that is on the PowerPoint. The PowerPoint is more for the people who are online rather than you who are here. So if you have a pen, have your pen ready, circle, highlight, underline, right, as we go through what speaks to you as he's talking about it, all right? Coming fresh from the study of the table our exclamation must be, what a discrepancy. Can we look at the church of today and the church idealized in the scriptures, which was at one time in concrete illustration in the earth, and not have great searchings of heart before the Lord? So what is he saying? How did we get to this point? We, we, we had the church, right? The New Testament shows us clearly. So now he's saying, how did we get to this point? Why the unlikeness and contradiction? And what a shame that the present day church should presume to represent the Lord even by name, 
when in life is no more as the pattern laid down in the word than a child's first writing is like the copper plate. There is a reason for this serious and deplorable discrepancy. Shall we not try to find it? So what is he laying out? They don't even, we don't even really look the same, right? So he's still making this distinction, right? This isn't me. I didn't write this. He is still, right? This is three weeks if he's really been diving into the distinction between the biblical church and the modern day church. So now he says, shall we not try to find it? Shall we not try to problem solve what is happening here so then we can get it right? All right, so next paragraph. Such a state of things plainly declares that many hirelings are in the pulpit. Huh, I, I, think, I think a pastor said that on Sunday. Oh, wait, that was me. That's right. Such a state of things plainly declares that many hirelings are in the pulpit, that many men are preachers professionally instead of by the call of God, that many men are man-made ministers instead of God's anointed. If pulpits are filled with men without spiritual qualifications, how can the church be taught the things of God? The poor church of God is afflicted with blind ministers, and it's a case of the blind leading the blind. Whew, I didn't say this, y'all, but this, this, is what, this is what the young people would call fire. This is fire, which means it hits home. This is real talk, right? This is, this is about as real as it gets when you look at the American church. And I know, y'all, now don't get me wrong, there are a lot of good pastors, there's a lot of good pastors. There are some phenomenal pastors. I mean, I come from a line of pastors. I like to think they're phenomenal men of God. But the thing is, there are a lot of pastors and pulpits who are hirelings. They go where the best salary is. They go where the most members are. And they flow and wave wherever, not where the calling is, where the money is. The church is overrun with the spirit foreign to its true life. Now that hit home for me. Because if it's not the Holy Spirit, it doesn't belong in the church. But look at what this says. The church is overrun with the spirit foreign to its true life, where only the Lord's anointed should stand. The traditionalist too often is seen. The man who magnifies creature religion, who lives for carnal display and denominational glory, the time server that makes merchandise of the house of God. Speaking of this, my wife sent me something funny. Um, of, of there, there's literally this Instagram. Instagram's a social media network where this guy posts how much the famous pastor's watches cost. Y'all, these pastors are wearing $10,000 watches, $15,000. Y'all, this one pastor had a $25,000 watch. Y'all, $25,000 watch. The time server that makes merchandise of the house of God. O church of the living God, thou art fallen. Thy friends are thy foes. Thy love is human, not divine. Well, I think a pastor also just talked about that on Sunday. It works, it, in works thou servest not God, but the unworthy ends of men's selfish and sinful ambition. So what did he, he just went out on pastors, did he not? He went in on the pastor of the American church. Now, in today's age, that's not going to make you very popular. You're not going to be very well liked. And in, in his day and age, y'all, there's a reason the history books don't talk about Joseph Schmell. He didn't make many friends preaching like this. He didn't make many friends talking like this. There's a reason why I had to dig into church history of the Zusa Street to even find this book right here of his sermons. Why? Because when you preach the truth, you're not popular. You're usually not the one with, with uh, books selling in the millions if you preach this type of stuff. This isn't popular, but it's true. All right, next paragraph. This state of things should make us inquire concerning the things vital to the house of God. 
To say the least, it is unnatural for the church not to express in its organized life that which is infinitely superior (laughs) to the life of clubs and lodges. The church ought to be more than a congregation of human elements and must be and indeed is if it be of God. So what's he saying? The church has got to be more than man-made methods and man-made programs. It has to be more than that if indeed it is of God. We have a right to look to the church and to all individual Christians for the expression of a supernatural life. The supernatural is their natural state. Amen? The supernatural should be the natural state of a believer. It should obviously be clear in our lives. The people of God do not come into the precious relationship of privilege by merely subscribing to certain articles of faith. To be the people of God is to be in eternal union with God himself. So what is he saying? It's not just saying you believe. There has to be a relationship. There has to be a relationship. And I love the way he puts it. To be the people of God is to be in eternal union with God himself. It's not about the articles of faith you claim to believe. Where is the relationship? If God, therefore, be missing from our experience... We are not of his house, and we have committed the sin of sacrilege in joining ourselves to his people. Now, y'all, that, that, that right there is a big claim. Let me talk about this a little bit. If God, therefore, be missing from our experience, if God's not in it, we are not of his house. We are not of his children. We are not of his flock. And we have committed the sin of sacrilege. What is sacrilege? It is profaning the holy. It is making the holy profane. It is contaminating the holy. So what is he saying? If God's not in our, in our church, if God's not in our experience of the Christian life, then we have committed the sin of profaning the holy. I don't know of a more severe sin towards God than profaning his holy church. What he ordained to be the bride for his son, we have turned into the harlot. And this is what exactly what he is saying. The sin of sacrilege, which is making the holy profane, is contaminating. Y'all, that's a big deal. That, that's a big claim. And yes, this verbiage is a little bit different than modern day. But that's a big claim he's making. If God is not in our experience, we are committing the sin of sacrilege. And listen to what he says, in joining ourselves to his people. He's saying, you're not even a part of his people. You're claiming to be a part of the children of God, but you don't even consist of the same things that they do. It is God, the Holy Ghost, who creates. And here we go. Here we get into the Holy Spirit section of what we've been talking about. It is God, the Holy Ghost, who creates and sustains a Christian and also who creates and sustains the church. Have we not been talking about this constantly? It is God, the Holy Ghost, who creates and sustains a Christian and also who creates and sustains the church. And this being so, we must turn to him for for Christians that are Christians indeed and for a church in the earth that shall illustrate among men the way of divine life and service. Having failed to honor him, we have failed in all things vital to Christianity and therefore vital to a true representation of the church of Jesus Christ. We understand a church that does not have the Holy Spirit flowing and functioning is not a church. That's not a church led by God. If you have a church that is led by men, strictly by men, the Holy Spirit is not leading those leaders. That is not a true church. That is not a church of scripture. Do we understand that? So what he's saying, if the Holy Spirit is not evident, and listen, he's saying, having failed to honor him, which majority of churches don't talk about the Holy Spirit, or a lot of denominations even don't even believe that he fills the human body anymore, 
We have failed in all things vital to Christianity and therefore vital to a true representation of the church of Jesus Christ. Why are we not a true representation of the church of Jesus Christ? Because the Holy Spirit is not leading and guiding his church. Why is he not? Because we're not allowing him to. We're not asking, me, we're not asking him to. We have said that our programs and our methods are better than what the Holy Spirit can do for us. And that's why we are where we are. Because we have not given the Holy Ghost the place assigned him in the church by the scriptures, we are affected with the higher criticism and worldliness, supplemental and unnecessary methods, superfluous organization for the maintenance and spread of the faith. So what is he saying? Because we haven't relied on the Holy Spirit, this is what has entered the church. Higher criticism and worldliness, supplemental and unnecessary methods. What is he saying? We've added on to the gospel because we said the Holy Spirit wasn't enough. We said the way he handled it wasn't enough, so we have to add on to it. And men of dwarfed Christian stature with their narrow sympathies and circumscribed view of the gospel. None of these are possible where the Holy Spirit is supreme. Do we understand that? These things that he just talked about the church, none of these are possible where the Holy Spirit reigns supreme. Let us study him and get back to God and to power and to a position where we can throw the fear of God across the people's vision and bless the world. And I keep talking about it. Acts 9.31 talks about it. It says, And the people walked in the fear of the Lord and in the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, and their numbers multiplied. Look at what he says. Let us study him. Church, what are we doing? We're studying the Holy Spirit and get back to God and to power and to a position where we can throw the fear of God across the people's vision and bless the world. Why? Because where the, where the fear of the Lord is, there are blessings. We talked about this last week where the fear of the Lord is there are blessings. But look what he says, and bless the world. When the church walks in the fear of the Lord, the world is blessed. Why? Because the Lord blesses us so much when we fear him that it overflows. The world cannot help but be blessed through the blessings of the Lord. Next section, our theoretical orthodoxy must be enlarged and translated into an everyday experience. So what is he saying? It's great to have these theoretical things we talk about in church. It's great to throw out these lofty ideas. But if we are not translating them into everyday experience, it doesn't matter. If we're not applying them into our everyday life, then they don't matter. You can throw out these great, this great theology, this great orthodoxy, but if we are not making them applicable to the everyday Christian life, then there's no point to them. This has to be an everyday lived out experience. Scripture calls us to worship to the worship of a triune God. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Practically considered, modern Christian worship is very defective, vitally, fundamentally defective. It is a worship of the Father and the Son, but scarcely a worship of the Holy Ghost. Shall we not understand that God is not truly worshipped until He is recognized as triune? And adoration be given equally to the three persons, if the Holy Spirit were acknowledged indeed as God, a radically different state of things would be prevailing in Christendom. Have I not been saying this? If the Holy Spirit was properly put in his place in the modern church. And what does Christendom mean? It means nationwide Christianity. Christendom is the state. It's Christianity, the nationwide Christianity. It says if the Holy Spirit were acknowledged indeed as God, a radically different state of things would be prevailing in Christendom. Why? Because without the Holy Spirit, we as believers can do nothing. 
The Spirit honored in the glory of His Godhead means the Spirit of God revealing the glory of God among men. Correct? Because through the Holy Spirit, we are able to do great works. The Holy Spirit works through us, and we see the power of God manifest before us. The two go together. The return of the church to the worship of the Holy Ghost will be the return to the church of the long-lost glory of God. Therefore, the great truth to be pressed to the attention and hearts of the professing people of God today is the truth of the divine spirit. And I'm going to read, I'm going to read those, two, those uh, two sentences again because I think it's beautiful. Read along with me. The return of the church to the worship of the Holy Ghost will be the return to the church of the long-lost glory of God. Therefore, the great truth to be pressed to the attention and hearts of the professing people of God today is the truth of the divine Spirit. Every one of us who are jealous for the honor of the Lord, the purity and prosperity of the church of Jesus Christ, must make everything of this subject for the time being. It is the subject of subjects for the people of God. What is he talking about? The Holy Spirit. Restoring the Holy Spirit to his throne, to his proper place as a part of the triune Godhead. This is why the first week we literally went through who is the Holy Spirit. We must keep this this to the front. It must be our daily declaration until every Christian becomes solemnly affected by it. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit must be worshipped. And only through the Holy Spirit are Father and Son revealed. Let Zion be engaged with this truth and the profoundest awakening will result. She will be filled with a glory that will light up the whole earth. It is this that will start revival fires in every place in the world. Do you see that? It is this that will start revival fires in every place in the world. And we are believing to see revival. As a proof, I have but to cite again the first New Testament church of Los Angeles. Now, this is his church, right? So he comes back from the Welsh revival and he has a complete outbreak in his church. There's revival spreading through his church. The secret of the profound spiritual movement there is in the fact that that church has recovered the shamefully obscured and long buried truth of the Holy Spirit and is opening its heart for the embodiment of him. Do strangers who visit ask, why is the glory of God in this place? The answer returned them, brief and simple, is we are worshiping the Holy Ghost. Note that worshiping the Holy Ghost, that is to say adoring him as God, but more yielding the place that is given to him by the scriptures and given to him by the Father and the Son. He is enthroned as the executive. They seek to give way to his office work. They desire him to speak and work as he wills in his own house. They wish him to be the sovereign administrator and themselves his servants. And this is just what is signified in the true worship of God. Is it, y'all, is this not what I've been saying throughout this whole series? We have to put the Holy Spirit back in his rightful place. Next paragraph. Will the churches everywhere have, y'all, this, this is where I get excited with this. Will the churches everywhere have a revival? They must honor the Holy Spirit. Y'all, I feel it. I feel it coming. I know people for years have been saying, there's a revival coming. And y'all, can I please say this? Just because a pastor has a guest speaker and calls it a revival does not mean it's a revival. That's not true. A revival radically impacts a region. If, 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 people, if people in that little church just felt the Holy Spirit, great, you felt the Holy Spirit. That's not revival. 
So we have got to stop falsely labeling things revival. A church meeting, a church gathering is not revival. Revival, you cannot label a revival revival. A revival breaks out, and then, then you can call it a revival. But what we call modern-day Christianity, oh, we're having a revival down the street. That does not count. Y'all, I'm talking a true Holy Spirit revival. Many are the churches that are praying for a revival, but some of them know not what they are asking. If God were to answer their prayers, they would refuse the revival when it came. Whoa, let's read that again. If God were to answer their prayers, they would refuse the revival when it came. Why? Because revival doesn't always look the way you think it should. And revival doesn't always feel the way you think it should. How ignorantly the professing people of God as a whole think of revival. Amen to that. Have you thought of what is inevitable in a true revival? I love this. This much for certain, the destruction of man's authority in the house of God. Why? What is revival? The Holy Spirit putting himself back in his rightful place, enthroned upon the ministry. No man can, lo- no man can longer be in authority and rule in that house. Why? Because this much is, is certain, the destruction of man's authority in, in the house of God. And that's not comfortable. That hurts our feelings. And Miss Melody actually brought something to my attention today. Um, it's, a de- it's a devotional, a daily devotional called My Utmost for His Highest. And there's a devotional in there talking about putting yourself in the right standing of being a good child. And it's talking, we cannot expect great things from God if we are not walking according to His commands and His purposes. And to me, that was convicting as a pastor because there are things in my life I know if God is going to break out in revival, I have to be in a place to completely remove myself of pride because when revival breaks out here, I don't know who's going to be preaching. I don't know who's going to be talking. It's not the Josiah Hodge show. And so I have to make sure that I am putting myself in the right standing of a good child to make sure I am ready to foster something like that in this church. But, but this is the last thing that man will yield. A true revival is the exaltation of the Holy Spirit in the church. A true revival is the sovereign workings of that authority. Against those sovereign workings, religious man is in perpetual rebellion. Wow, y'all, that's hard. And that... That hits home because, listen to it again, a true revival is the exaltation of the Holy Spirit in the church. A true revival is the sovereign workings of that authority. Against those sovereign workings, religious man is in perpetual rebellion. Why? Because revival usually goes against every tradition we have. And it's uncomfortable, y'all. Revival is uncomfortable and it goes against our traditions and what we think church should be. Are the churches asking for a revival? If it be of God when it comes, it will be Wales all over again. But a Welsh revival is not, remember I told you he went to the Welsh revival in 1904 and 1905 and came back. But a Welsh revival is not what many churches can stand. Bound as they are to the traditional life, to creeds, man-made systems, and notions of service. My goodness. The modern church is afflicted with creature religion, which means man-made religion, which will be swept away in a revival from God. I'm going to read that again. The modern church, y'all, this, this is the best sentence I could even sum up to what's happening in the American church. The modern church is afflicted with creature religion, man-made religion, which will be swept away in a revival from God. Oh, for a general crying out for an exaltation of our Lord. Let men before him fall, bring forth the royal diadem, and crown him Lord of all. Now that's the whole sermon. His whole sermon was in reply because listen, the backstory. Once he put up that chart, there were a lot of mad Christians. 
When he put up that chart comparing the modern church to, to the biblical church, people attacked him. There were journals written about him. So this is basically his response of what, why. Why did, why did he make that chart and what was he saying? Now, I couldn't agree more with this man. Over 116 years ago, I couldn't agree more with him. So that, that sermon was small, but I, I believe there was some hard truth in that that had to be said. Now, I'm excited for the next week's upcoming because then he gets into the Pentecostal blessing. We understand, just like I've been doing the, the what, 12 weeks now, I've been laying a foundation. There's a foundation that has to be laid before we can build the house on top of it. And I know every week I've been saying this, but tonight we're going to do the same thing. We're going to come around this altar. We're going to repent if we need to repent, or we're just going to worship if that's what the Lord calls us to do. But I want y'all to come up. You can spread out. If you don't feel comfortable being closely, closely around people, we got this whole sanctuary. Isn't that a beautiful thing? We're going to spread out. I'm going to play some music, and we're going to worship God. We're going to cry out to him. We're going to, we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to come fill us with deeper measurement. We're going to ask him for specific things for this ministry. Because I was telling Miss Melody today that I have a pastor friend. He's actually the one who led me into the Lord. He planted his own church almost a year ago. He and his church leadership, they needed a whole bunch of positions filled. They need people to come serve. They prayed for specific positions to be filled with specific prerequisites, specific talents, and specific gifts. And the Holy Spirit answered that call and led those people. Y'all, that church is thriving. And y'all, I mean, talk about a Holy Spirit-led church. This church, if you went there, it wouldn't look like any other American church you've been to because it's fully led by the Holy Spirit. It's, it's incredible. It's called The Way Church, and it's beautiful. And that is what I long to see in this church, this church being fully led by the Holy Spirit. So y'all come around this altar, come ahead and start praying, because you know what? This house can do nothing unless the Holy Spirit works in us to do it. So we're going to come up to this altar. We're going to, as long as you want, listen, we're basically done. Look, I kept you short, only 30 minutes, right? So you can stay as long as you want or as short as you want. We're going to come up, we're going to worship, and we're going to seek the Lord. And we're going to ask him to come fill us in a deeper way.